Welcome to Disrupting Japan. Straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Truly disruptive technology is usually hard to spot when it first shows up. Sure, after the IPOs and the mass market success, everyone claims that they knew it all along. But in the early days, disruptive technology is usually shrugged off as being too simplistic or unprofitable, or most often, just a solution looking for a problem. When Kodak invented the digital camera, they dismissed it as a toy with no real commercial applications. LED light bulbs were first written off as impractical, and in 1911, the military brass dismissed the airplane as, quote, a scientific toy with no military value. All of these seemed like, well, solutions looking for problems. We'll pick up that thread later, but I want you to keep it in mind as we sit down today and we talk with Taku Kodaida, the founder of Micro Entertainment, who's developed technology that can create full 3D motion capture models for mobile phone videos. Now, Taku's initial and current application of this technology is the world's first global marketplace in dance moves. And he has some of the world's most famous dancers signed up on the platform. But this is a conversation that will take us on a journey of how digital dancing is already being monetized in gaming and social media, about copyrights in dance and plagiarism in choreography. And we'll also explore the new uses and new markets that this technology will open up in the future. But you know... Taku tells that story much better than I can. So let's get right to the interview. So I'm sitting here with Taku Kodaira, the founder of Micro Entertainment and Jessrec Motion Capture Marketplace. And thanks for sitting down with us. Thank you very much, Tim. Now, what, what you guys are doing, it's really amazing tech, but, you know, you can probably explain it a lot better than I can. So... What does it do, and what are you selling? Right. So just starting about the, the name JustRec, we try to combine two words, gesture and recognition, and try to create like a one word. My wife is a dancer, and uh, I've been talking to her, and she told me all the difficulty dancers are facing. And we just realized, okay, uh, these people are doing so much stuff out there, is there any way we can try to support them? Right now, we are utilizing our technology to capture 3D motion and uh, turning into the data from the 2D video. And we are creating a marketplace that we sell and trade those 3D motions that's actually coming from the, a lot of people, mainly right now dancers and choreographers. Okay, so, I mean, I totally, I mean, in another, what seems like another life, I used to be a professional musician, and I I completely understand that even compared to musicians, dancers have a really hard time making money and supporting themselves. So anything that supports exactly. that is is good. So the dancers, the choreographers, they, they take videos of themselves using just a regular cell phone camera. 
you guys can extract the 3D modeling from this and put it up on the on the website. Yes, and what's amazing is uh, they don't really need to take the, the video again because throughout their careers they had a lot of uh, videos already on their on their hands. They can just hand hand us the the videos they have. So we have these dancers uploading their videos to the marketplace, and you guys rendering this into 3D models. So tell me about your customers. Who's on the other side of this? Who are buying these dance moves? We are actually looking at slightly different customers depending on the, the categories. The, the first customers we saw was the, the 3D artists or production companies. Currently, we see a big boom where a lot of people are able to work on the 3D models. Because of PCs getting faster, there are more options for the softwares. And the second customer we see is uh, more in terms of like a gaming and the social media. As you probably know on the, the gaming world, the, the metaverse is really there expanding. Right now, people have their avatars. And the next thing they wanted to do is uh, make them do the motions, especially coming from somebody who has uh, creatively created it. And the last one is a little bit similar. Social media is expanding too, and the 3D world plus the avatar. So similar things with the gaming. Yeah, I can I can see how that be used that way. I mean, the, the potential is fantastic, but I mean, who are the customers specifically rather than the user? For example, like Fortnite dancing has been really in the news. It's the first thing that kind of comes to mind here. So it's, it's the gaming companies who will right. buy these models. Social media, I guess it would be the social media platforms that would buy these models. So is that is that the same customers you have? Or are you trying to do more direct or something broader or something different? Right now, we are doing things in combination. We are in discussion with the gaming companies, and we are also discussion with the social media companies. The problem there is uh, a lot of times, dancers or choreographers are feeling that their work has been stolen. So they don't get credits, they don't get the, the re- revenues, and uh, that's something we are trying to change here. What we can actually do is uh, we can be in between those gaming or social media companies and uh, the ones who's creating the, the motions. What we are seeing in the very near future is that they can collaborate together as a kind of like an influencer and platform relationship. Before we dig deeper into that, because there's a whole fascinating area of like motion rights and, and an extension of copyright here, but... Before we get into that, I want to ask a bit about you. Okay. You spent a lot of your time overseas when you were when you were growing up and in your early career. Did that have any influence on on your decision to start your own startup? I would say so, actually, yes. Just a little bit of my life. I was born in Singapore. I spent a lot of time of my childhood in Hong Kong, about eight, nine years. And I finished high school in the Philippines. I got a college degree in the United States, master's degree in Japan. So that kind of got me into the, the startup. Also, what we see as a trend in Japan is uh, most of the startups are focused on the Japanese market because we are here. 
But as a micro entertainment, we try to go into the, the global markets. And you mentioned that your wife is a dancer. Was she kind of your, your inspiration for starting this? Or is she involved in building and running the startup as well? Absolutely. So I got a lot of inspiration, especially in the beginning. And now she's also involved into our business as well. In the beginning, she was more like somebody who gives me inspiration and also tells me how things work in Japan around dancing. And now she's expanding her career as well. She started to learn about coding, something I can't do. She's also into those uh, 3D modeling stuff. So again, this is another area I can't really uh, do it myself. Oh, that's awesome. Let me ask you a bit about the technology and then we'll dive into the business model. So looking at it from the outside, this is, this is kind of amazing technology, right? Because 3D motion capture has always been, you know, people in the motion suits with the ping pong balls stuck on the outside, you know, specialized cameras. It's been a very specialized and expensive process. So the fact that you can extract it from a single camera view is pretty amazing. So can you dig into that technology? How exactly are you doing this? The very simple way I explain is that we can take the 3D motion out of a 2D video. And there are some other companies who specialize into this. Most of the time, what they're utilizing is AI. Our technology is a combination of uh, AI, physics motion, and some other stuff. We are pretty confident we are uh, one company that can provide the most precise or at least getting very close to those motion capture suit quality motion extracted from 2D video. Are you free to talk about the technology? Disrupting Japan listeners tend to be a pretty technical bunch, so... Can you share anything about the specific technology or techniques you're using? Sure. Just a, a little piece of it. As I mentioned, we are combining all sort of uh, technologies out there. So one thing to mention about AI, for example, we are combining several different AIs. One is uh, taking the, the finger uh, motion from those 2D video. And another one is taking the whole body motions. And uh, there are another things that combining those finger motions and uh, the body motions. Of course, if you just combine those AI together, then things looks a little bit not uh, correct, I would say. So we are making sure that the model doesn't go below the ground and the model doesn't go too high. A lot of part I would say is AI. Another one is, uh, as I mentioned, physics engine, and uh, there are other cutting edge technologies as well. Do you also do like some post processing? Do you, is there a human component of of like a final tuning or quality check in in the process, or is it fully automated? Right now, there is a little bit of a space. One reason is uh, a lot of times. Although our outcome is fairly okay or fine, we get some requests from the the client as well. And one interesting experiment we did is, uh, can we extract the 3D motion out of those anime? Oh, yeah. The result was actually amazing. Surprisingly, our results provide sometimes smoother outcome compared to the original anime because 
you know, sometimes it's uh, depending on the budget. It's not really as smooth as the human motion. Yeah, but that that is interesting. So what is it, it's always interesting to find out what AI is good at and what AI has difficulties with because it it tends to surprise you. Right. So in human motion capture, whether it's animation or live video, what are the parts that the AI tends to get right most of the time? And what are the parts that you and the editors just have to double check and go in and, and make sure it didn't make another mistake on? Something that AI is good at, it really depends on what kind of data we have. We used to differentiate what people can do and what AI can and cannot do. And these days, I think people are switching more to, well, it really depends on the database. What we are really good at, especially when we talk to the clients uh, discussing about the motions extracted from anime, because we are trying to extract something that simply doesn't exist. There is no right answer to it because in between motions, there is simply nothing there. And we are trying to fill into the gap. The reason why we sometimes need to alter there is uh, the client says, well, you don't see it here, but there is a motion here that we didn't really put it into anime. That's kind of like the, the place where AI gets confused because it's not there. And it's not in the database too. Right, right. It's something that, that human beings will, will like see without thinking, right? But an AI just doesn't have that frame of exactly. reference. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Over time, if we do this for the anime, hopefully everybody's saying something similar. The AI is going to sense it. Okay, I know you meant this and this is what you want. So I think we are uh, gradually getting there. Hey, and is there a library that listeners can download or a website where they can upload videos to to try this out themselves? Right now, we are working on the kind of a closed beta, but we are planning to open this up to the the regular public. But uh, we are actually very open to uh, requests. So if there is anybody who's willing to have something being processed, please contact us. Uh, no guarantee we can work on it, but we'll try our best. Well, well, we'll definitely put a link in the show notes so everyone will be able to to go there and, and see for themselves. Great, thanks. Okay, let, let's dig into the business model because I, I think you guys are on some really new and interesting ground here. So you've signed up some some really famous dancers onto this platform. And, and let me ask you directly, what are they expecting to get out of this? What, what do they want from this platform? I wouldn't say everybody is looking for the same thing. But as we talk to a lot of dancers and choreographers especially, what they want first is the credits. In the, in the past, a lot of times, especially choreographers, a lot of times their name isn't really shown or credited very different from what's happening in the music industry. So a lot of people say, at least my name should be there. I want it to be credited. That's one thing. Another thing we are trying to do, of course, um, if they have created this work, you get part of the pay. That's what uh, we think it's fair. 
And when we get some revenues on our platform, we'll try to distribute it as uh, as many times as transaction happens. Well, I think those are both admirable goals and understanding desires that the desire to be credited and to make money off of off of your work is fundamental to every artist, this one included. <laughs> But it seems like this is breaking new ground for for copyright law. Can dance moves be copyrighted? Are they, are they are, I mean today are they considered copyrightable? Yes and no. Well, legally it can be copyrighted, but the difficulty out there for dancing is uh, who's got the original move. Everybody is getting inspired and uh, everybody is inspiring somebody else. So it's really hard to say, well, this belongs to this person and this belongs to uh, this person. One of the very famous choreographers in the United States is now copywriting his choreography that's shown in the the very, very famous song. And uh, that's been a battle. And I mean, we are very supportive for that kind of movement, but... We are a little bit worried about things getting a little bit similar to what's happening in the music industry. But I mean, it, it does seem to be analogous to the music industry where you've got, I mean, the, the choreographer is very similar to the composer. The, the dancer is very similar to the performer. And there, there's very clear rights given to, to each. What we worried is a very extreme case, uh, just as an example. So one person copyrighted one motion raising right hand. Going forward, somebody else who is going to raise their right hand needs to pay something. What we are worried is the more we go into that battle, the next generation dancers and choreographers, their uh, creative works going to be limited. Yeah, I could see that being a concern if, if it's done wrong. But this is something that actually seems, I mean, it's happening now. I mean, dancers have been suing Epic Games over the last year or two because because they've been copying famous dance moves for, for Fortnite dances, right? Right. How, how, is, how, how have those legal cases been playing out? It's very hard to win 100% on those cases. Because a lot of times, okay, uh, this part seems to be original, but this part isn't. And uh, a lot of times it ends up kind of like nowhere saying, okay, some part you're right, some part you're not right. And in case the one person wins, another person's going to uh, sue that person saying, well, you got some of my parts being copied. So we are kind of expecting that kind of like uh, endless battle there. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to take a slightly different approach there. I, I can certainly see that being a concern, uh, especially if we we open the floodgates all at once. But wh- how is your approach different? So what we are doing, okay, so when somebody is dancing the moonwalk, let's say, there are 100 ways to do the similar or the same motions. Depending on the dancer's creativity, it's going to come out slightly different. What we are saying is that although everybody is doing the the same moves, if it's coming from the different person, it's a different artwork. We try not to call it the right for the choreography, because choreography is like one single stuff that can be distributed to a lot of people. 
but when we say motion, is、uh, coming from a specific person or people, and each motion is very different, although the choreography may be the same. So it's focusing on, I guess, effectively performance, the, the, the performance itself. Right. I mean, it, it, it makes intuitive sense to me that dance should be protected the same way that. I don't know, music and literature or, or paintings are protected, right? It's, it's clearly artistic expression, right? But without these motion rights being recognized in the courts, how do you make money? I mean, I mean clearly the digital representation of the motion is copyrightable. That's unquestionably your property. But without the legal framework for Motion rights. How do you make sure that the dancers and the rights holders get, get paid? Right now, at this moment, we are、uh, pretty much the only one marketplace that's providing the official motion. So, as long as we distribute part of the, the revenue, it's, it's fine. I mean, nobody's making money now, and we are and we will be the only one. And, you know, if somebody else comes into the, the market, it's fine. But As far as the, the ones we are、uh, working with, everybody s h o w up on our websites. We have a contract with them. They will receive certain amount of revenues distributed from our platform. Okay, that makes sense. And, and your ownership of the, the digital representation will protect that contract. Exactly. But, but if you had a, a competitor, an evil competitor, <laughs>、mm-hmm. Under current copyright law, could someone just download dance videos off of YouTube, start extracting the motion capture, and selling that with copyright law where it is today? Legally, yes. Oh, man. Right now, as I mentioned, we are the only one that can extract as high quality as getting close to the motion capture suit. So. Hopefully, we get the, the vote from dancers and the people around the creative industries and make this kind of like a framework or the standards. So, whenever any competitors or,、uh, comes in, they will need to work with that standard, hopefully. Yeah. But I also imagine with the technology advancing, it will probably force the courts to, to re examine how motion rights are viewed. If we reach a place where people can just, from any video, extract a digital representation of someone's performance, then yeah, that, that seems like it's clearly breaking the spirit of copyright law, doesn't it? We totally agree. We started this project trying to support dancers and choreographers and creative people around the industry. Although it's not our responsibility legally. We think we are responsible to create this framework and make sure that's going to be reflected on the copyright law. Is dance plagiarism a, a, a thing? Do, do dancers and choreographers worry about other dancers stealing their moves? It's been a huge discussion for the past years. Another reason we didn't go to copyright the, the choreography is、uh, Now, dancers become influencers. When we look at the TikTok, 
a lot of people are actually imitating what、uh, those other dancers are, are doing. And that's one of the way they get the, the buzz. So imitating isn't really a bad thing. As long as you get the credits and part of the revenues being distributed. It's kind of amazing to think like copyright law was, was invented at a time where it was printing presses of the written word and, and musical scores written out so people could play it in their homes. And、mm -hmm. 200 years later, <laughs> we're still trying to make it work with, with video. Exactly. So, long term, for micro entertainment, I, I, I see two business models in, in front of you here. I mean, are you looking at being a rights management company like, like ASCAP in the US, or are you planning on being more of a, a marketplace, or, or maybe just diving deep into the technology? Which, which direction do you see micro entertainment heading? Right now, both of them for the dancers and choreographers and motion isn't there. So we are planning to take both roles. Once things become more formal and those current framework people, like especially、uh, somebody who's managing those patents or copyrights,、uh, they want to work with us.、Um, we are more than happy to、uh, work with them and we can focus on trying to maximize the value of motion. How big do you think this market is looking five, ten years in the future? Well, just looking at the, the motion capture suit industry, it's,、uh, it's already several hundred million dollars industry. And what's going to happen next? Okay,、uh, the metaverse or gaming world is expanding and the motion becomes like a language there where everybody buys emotes. And the, the next thing we are seeing is it can be applied to a lot of industries. We are in discussion with the, the medical industries, for example. When we combine the, the biological data with the motions, we can probably utilize it to make sure people don't get disease or get physically damaged. Another area could be the robots. Can be applied to farming as well. And we are also in discussion applying this to security. Everybody's motion is very unique, just like a fingerprinting. We are seeing tremendous potential out there. But it seems like this is, I mean, the standard disruptive technology flow. I mean, this seems like a perfect example where you have something that is extremely inexpensive. That is okay, maybe not quite as good as motion capture suits, but can get the job done. But it, it would seem to me that it, it would open up a whole lot of other areas. I mean, the ones you mentioned are, are, are good. I mean, in medical, for like rehabilitation, for, for sports, for just, I don't know, helping people with their golf game.、Uh, it, it seems like. That there's a ridiculous number of possible applications for the, for the basic technology. It's really interesting in that you've got either as a rights management or as a, a deep tech on motion capture or as the dance move marketplace are all good, potentially lucrative directions. But man, those are three very different businesses, three very different companies. Exactly. 
Our main focus is motion. That's one of the reasons why I mentioned when the existing companies or the market is willing to work with us for managing the copyright, we are more than happy to work with those companies and focus on the focus areas. What we are foreseeing here is our technology is going to get only better. So we are getting close to the motion capture suits. That means within the, the next few years, we are aiming to be as good as or even better than those motion capture suits. I mentioned about the smooth processing about the anime. What we are seeing here is uh, we are studying the muscle movements and uh, we are also doing some research on those expectations. So maybe very soon, we don't need the whole video, but if we just have a little piece of it, we can try to estimate what happened before and what's going to happen now. Okay. Oh, that's fantastic. Hey, listen, Taku, before I let you go, I want to ask you what I call my magic wand question. And that is, if I gave you a magic wand and I told you that you could change one thing about Japan, anything at all, the way people think about risk, the way people approach innovation, the education system, you could change anything at all to make things better for startups and innovation in Japan. What would you change? I, I would want to change a lot of stuff, but if it's only one, then maybe English communication. Why is that? I told you I used to work in a large companies and I met so many smart people out there. Working for the global company, English skill becomes kind of like a limitation. And that's something I also see within the, the startup. The market in Japan isn't really as big as, of course, the international markets. And once we can communicate in English, a lot of things happen. So, for example, a uh, majority of our employees are bilingual. That's because we, we have non-Japanese people too. And making English kind of like a standard language made us uh, able to hire the best people in the universe. Uh, doesn't really matter if they're Japanese, or Chinese, or American. So organization-wise, it's got the huge potential out there. And uh, the market, as I mentioned, is uh, larger outside of Japan. So I think we should try to aim the larger market with the stronger organization. You know, that that's interesting. I, a lot of people do talk about the importance of English language skills. But most of the time when people talk about it, they're talking about it in terms of like exporting, being able to address a global market. But I, you bring up a very interesting point that it's more about being a global company and having staff from around the world and adopting global practices. Exactly. Do you see that happening more and more in Japan? Because there are a lot of... A lot of startups, at least in Tokyo, are employing a very international staff these days. At least around myself, I see more like a trend, especially when we hire engineers. Of course, there are so many great engineers in Japan, and that means there are even more engineers as outside of Japan. I see things happening, and I think something like Disrupting Japan, you guys are also contributing to switch the, the trend in Japan. Yeah, we, we definitely need engineers in Japan. 
<laughs> the more startups you have, the more engineers you need, the more engineers you can get together, the more startups kind of emerge on their own. Right. So it's almost like by nef by definition, you'll never have enough engineers. <laughs> if you get if you get too many of them together, they break off and start forming their own startups. Yeah. And, you know, uh, not just for the engineers, but when we hire designers, marketers, especially when we are aiming for the international market, it's better to be diverse uh, organization. So we get a lot of interesting ideas, even a lot of times coming outside of Japan. Well, I think it's great that Japan's startups are the ones kind of showing industry how to be global companies. Yep. Um, well, listen, Taku, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Tim. It's been a pleasure. And we're back. I have to say, I love the idea of dancers and choreographers getting paid for their work. And I mean, who isn't in favor of that? Of course, to make this work, international copyright law needs to be expanded to cover it. And maybe it will. As the technology becomes available to extract, digitize, and own the movements that someone else has made in a video, it seems like copyright law will be expanded to cover it. It'll have to catch up. And I'm not a lawyer, but I've got a lot of experience with copyright from the creator side. I've made money performing and selling music, selling publication rights of my written articles. And a few years back, I was paid a few thousand dollars to grant the rights for disrupting Japan to be used in an educational setting. Copyright law is essential but it was originally designed to protect books and sheet music for 14 years, and it's now been expanded to cover, well, almost all forms of expression and creation in terms now lasting over a 100 years. Copyright law really needs to be rebuilt from first principles to match the age we live in. But, you know, that's a discussion for another day. Now, that day is coming, for sure, but, but it's not today. Getting back to Taku and micro-entertainment, one of the biggest risks to their current business model is that scaling it up largely depends on the formal expansion of copyright law. Now, that'll probably happen, but it's hard to know when. During the intro of this episode, we talked about solutions looking for problems. Ah, I bet you thought I'd forgotten about that. No, no, I promised we would pick up that thread, so here we go. In a very real way, Taku and Micro have a solution looking for a problem. And, and that's a good thing. Their first use, the marketplace for dance moves, is a great one. And they already have some of the world's top dancers on board. Something very good is going to come out of this. But the bigger story has yet to be told. As this solution develops, it's going to find bigger problems. In our conversation, Taku and I touched on a few. Gaming, sports, medicine. Those are valid and important. But the way disruptive technology tends to work is that the big changes are only obvious in hindsight. The most important 
the most profitable, and the most transformative application has yet to be discovered. If you want to talk more about dance moves or motion capture, Taku and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com slash show 184 and let's talk about it. If you leave a comment, I guarantee Taku or I, or maybe both, will respond. And hey, if you get the chance, please follow us on LinkedIn or leave a review on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. Or, you know, if you like the show, just tell a friend about it. In this age of over-the-top hype and fake-it-till-you-make-it influencers, an honest recommendation really means a lot. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.